0: We are going to be in Acts two and Ephesians one. If you want to jump to that, um, as we get ready to go, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got some folks who will hand those out to you. Um, Anyway, so we'll get ready. This is our Ephesians study starts this week. Um, We have uh, books out on the table. I would love for you guys to get involved in a group. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, Um, but be sure and pick up an Ephesians study book. You'll study it this week. I'll teach on, I'm going to kind of do an intro after we talk a little bit about the value of groups this morning. I'm going to begin kind of the background and beginning of Ephesians, and then I'll finish chapter one next Sunday, but you'll have this week to kind of go through Ephesians one, and so then I'll teach on it, and then you'll talk about it in your groups the following week. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I'm convinced. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would make us aware of your presence in this place. Your word talks about that we're never alone. And that you're always with us. And something unique happens when we gather together as your body. So I pray that you'd be here. And Lord, as we open your word, and we talk about it, and we read it, Lord, that it would pierce hearts all of our hearts, Lord, and that uh, you would transform us to look more like you as we go from this place today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So before we start Ephesians, I want to talk about why uh, you hear me stress that it's important for us to meet in groups. And I want to say really quickly that if you're not involved in a group, that's okay. If you meet with one other person um, while your kids are at baseball practice, Every week. I'll, I'll count it. That'll count. What I want you to do is, I want you to meet with other people and talk about this and read scripture together and talk about how it impacts your life. That's what the study's designed for. That's what time in groups is, is meant to be. And so, from the very beginning of the church age at Pentecost, we catch Acts chapter 2. And the background before we start reading in verse 42 is this 120 believers are in a room in Jerusalem. And I just think that's remarkable. Right, that here's Jesus having been uh, come to earth and basically proving who he is by healing lepers and blind people, right, and deaf people, and raising people like Lazarus and the widow's son from Nain and the young girl from death to life. And then he himself being raised from death to life. And fed 5,000 plus, fed 4,000 plus. And yet all this has happened, and he's ascended, and there's a, and he said, wait in Jerusalem for the spirit to fall. And, and that'll be, you know, you'll get your instructions, you'll know what to do next, and there's 120 people waiting. And so this wild wind from heaven falls, Tongues of fire over each one of them, signifying the beginning of the church age that God will now speak through his spirit through us to each other and to those who don't know him. Peter stands up. Peter, a fisherman, stands up, quotes from Joel, Psalm 16, Psalm 110, and tells people to repent and be baptized, and it says 3,000 people were added to their number that day. I mean, that's like incredible. Right, this incredible day. And then it says this about him in Acts 2.42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money With those in need, they worshiped together at the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And you picture that, like, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like an incredible time to be a part of the church? I remember talking I was talking to a friend of mine in Houston Actually, a, a guy I just met. I'm going to call him a friend. Um, and as we talked, and he told me about where he was from in Houston and how the floods of a couple years ago, you know, impacted them. And he said it was while it was hard, it was incredibly sweet to see the community rally together. And basically, nothing else became important other than just surviving and helping those who were in need, and I get the sense that that's what that church family felt like. And what I want you to notice about that passage is right in the first sentence, it says, all the believers devoted themselves. From our Jim Branch study, from being with Jesus, devoted means strong toward. They were strong toward the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing of in meals, including communion, and prayer. This church is the church. It is the beginning of the church, capital C Church. And as we have stepped into this new season here and started Northwest Community Church, we get to be the church in this community. That's what I feel like is the call on us as a body of believers, is to be the church here, to represent Jesus. And so I want us to look at this first group of 120 as our forefathers in the faith. Like, they're the ones who went before us, and what they did, like, how can we do that? For Sunday services, we have the opportunity, maybe not apostles teaching, but teaching and some fellowship. Small groups, fellowship, sharing of meals, prayer, every place we gather, you know, we start off praying and we close praying, or in, in, at any time, we pray. So what I want you to think about today and pray about is, what does it mean to be devoted to these things in your life, in our lives. Like, let's ask that question. What does that look like? For me to be strong toward these four things, apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, and prayer. And I have a passion for this you may or may not have picked up on. Um, but I think something really significant happens when we gather together and we read God's word together and we encourage each other and we spend time in fellowship, and we spend time together, you you know that I love you guys. And I want you to give me some grace as I talk about this today. But I feel like as a body, we struggle to be devoted and strong toward. We're busy. Like we're a busy people. We live in a busy culture. Um, We don't have to be victims. It doesn't have to be that way. But the reality is we struggle because of our busyness. And yet, as we look back at our forefathers, I think we need to consider and pray about what part of this is right and what part of this needs adjustment. And and here, to kind of underscore what I'm talking about from being passionate, I want to share a story with you. And as a, there's a fine line here between being legalistic, and that's not at all my heart or intent in sharing this with you, but also having passion and making a commitment, right? And like putting it on your calendar and letting other things fall off because to be a part of the bride of Christ means something. And so this guy, um, I, I before we moved here from San Antonio, I got suckered into... Uh, working out in the morning with this guy that used to be an army ranger and who was about five years younger than me. And that was a bad decision. But he would come to my house at 6.30, and so I got up extra early to read and pray, and then he would show up, and he'd be like, Today we're running hills, or today we're going to the track. And I'd be like, Oh, my gosh, why did I do this? Right, so as we're jogging through our neighborhood one day, and it's like embarrassing to jog with this guy because he's like doing army chants to fire himself up. And I'm like, I know these people, shut up, you know? But he tells me this story, this book he's read, and since, uh, he's not been able to like, tell me who the person is that he's talking about in the story. So this may be a fictional story, it may have been made up by my friend to motivate me that day, uh, but regardless, I think it bears importance, um, and I want to share it with you. There was a CEO of a large company and he had a right-hand number two guy, and uh, this right-hand guy came in and said, hey, some of our big investors are going to be in town this Saturday night. They're getting in late. They want to meet with you on Sunday morning. Like, we want to, they, they had some big, I don't know if they were going for a round of funding or what was going on, but it was very important that they get together. And the, and the CEO is a strong believer, and he said, I can't meet Sunday morning, You know I have a commitment every Sunday morning. I won't be able to be there. I can meet you late Saturday night. I can meet you Sunday afternoon for lunch." He's like, well, they've got to take off. They're they're only here for about 12 hours. Their time is Sunday morning. He said, can't make it. He said, all right, I'll let them know. Comes back in a few hours later. They're very disappointed. They wish you'd reconsider. He said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. The guy, the number two guy, leaves that day frustrated. Comes back the next morning. He says, hey, listen, I don't ask for much. I support you in everything you do. I'm telling you we need to meet with these guys. It's a big deal for our company. The CEO, normally mild-mannered, slams his hand down on the desk, and his podium shrinks. And he says, at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, I'm going to meet with the Lord God Almighty. If you can top that, I'll be there. And you know what I love about that story is? is the passion and commitment that that guy had. It's not legalism. It's it's a guy who wants to be with his heavenly father. It's a guy who wants to spend time. And that's the kind of commitment that I feel like that first church had when I read about them being devoted and strong toward. Because we struggle with a lack of intentionality. We struggle with individualism, if we're honest, right? Because every marketing thing around us tells us that we're kind of the captain of our own ship. We get to make our own decisions. What you said is good, I'll think about it. And that's not how we're supposed to approach the Word of God. He's supposed to be our Lord, and He has a way, and that way is good for us, and part of His way is for us to meet together, right? John 13, as He's leaving His disciples, having spent all this time with them, He tells them over and over again, listen, in John 13, I have a new command, love one another. That implies you're together, right? Right? John 15, again, love one another. There's no greater love than to lay your life down for your friends, which implies you have friends. John 17, my prayer is that they are one, like I, Jesus, and am you, the Father, and you are in me. He wants us to experience that kind of unity with one another and with him. And so I just want to encourage you to pray about and think about what it looks like to put something on your calendar. My own calendar, like when we have small group or church, like I color code my stuff because that's how I am. And those things are red. And that means something to me. What's my job? You're saying, yeah, what's your job? You you better be in red. (laughs) But, you know, even before it was my job, it was in red. And so I just want to encourage you to think about that. The purpose of groups is that we get to participate as believers in this healing ministry. Each of us has been given a gift, right? And your gift is for the sake of the body. And we get together in groups it's different than when we get together here on Sunday morning. We have the opportunity to use our gifts as we meet together, as we rub shoulders, as we break bread, as we talk together. And again, whether that's just you and one other person or whether that's in your group. And whether your group is a group that meets here or it's a group that goes other, I, I don't, like, I'm not looking to make a lot of rules. I just think it's important that we meet the body of Christ together. I think that's significant. And just am trying to encourage you that we get together and we speak life into one another because we're all wounded and broken and struggling. All of us. We all struggle because God's infinite and we're finite. And it's a struggle to follow him. And so we encourage each other. We speak life into each other. One says, I'm fighting to understand what God means. And the other one speaks life and says, no, no, no. I see you doing it. Like, hey, I see how you are raising your kids, or I see how you've circled back to apologize, or, you know, that, that, that's how we can benefit each other and lift each other up. And so we gather together, and when we do, we're a more complete expression of Jesus Christ. Like, that, we get to experience a greater impression of him. And I want to tell you that, like, if you're in my small group, like, I need you to show up. And other people in other groups feel the same way. I need your gifts in my life. And 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 that, and that the same thing. The inverse of that is true, right? And that's why we're committed to each other. I've asked Caroline Craven to come up, and I want her to share with you why small groups are significant. And Caroline was a part of our 20-something group that met um, a couple of years ago for about three years. Here, come on up. You guys got this one on? Um, and... Carol, a lot of that group... Here, come step on up here, Caroline. It's going to be official and big. You guys welcome Caroline. Yeah. So the thing I love about what Caroline, Caroline's experience was that Caroline grew up in Austin but went off to TCU. She wasn't a part of, like, the nucleus of that group was an Austin or UT Young Life community. And so she had to kind of keep coming and be committed until she became part of that team, part of that group, right? So anyway, yeah. you share what's on your heart.
1: Yeah. Um, and so now I'm in a small group still with 20-somethings, not with Tom and Celia anymore, but we're on our own. Um, and we meet every Thursday. Um, so like Tom said, when I moved back to Austin, all of my like childhood friends and high school friends had kind of moved away, and it was like being in a new city. And um, luckily, Alyssa moved um, at the same time when we knew each other from college, and so... Um, in 2016, we decided it was going to be a priority to find a church, but also to find friends um, and community through church. And so we um, went on a little church hunt and ended up coming to ACF. And um, Tom said, fill out a Connect card, and I did. And a couple days later, he called um, and said, why don't you all come to the small group at our house and meet some people. Um, and been here ever since. So definitely fill out the Connect card. if um, you. Um, So in the early days
0: it was definitely hard um, and it was a battle every time like sitting in my car like do I really want to put myself out
1: there, do I really (laughs) want to go talk to all these people that I don't know but um, I think after about a year of it being really hard every time it started being like my friends were there and these people knew me and um, from there it's just turned into a really supportive group and a really Um, deep community and um, just great friendships and getting to walk together in different stages like people getting married and having babies and buying houses and that we all get to do that together um, and support each other has been just really beautiful to be part of Um, and so while like the structure has changed and the people have changed some um, like the really deep relationships and getting to support each other hasn't and I think that's what I'm most grateful for. It's made me feel connected and supported.
0: Awesome. Yeah, you guys thank her. It's been a huge blessing to have you guys be part of our church. Um, So I just want you to, and I know you hear it, but I just want you to to hear how important I think that is, and we want to help you get involved in that. And so if we can help, let us know. But it doesn't have to be a real high bar. It doesn't have to be a perfect group. It can be two or three people. It's okay. I just want to like, tell you how valuable it is. And if you're in a group already, and like, we're, let's be honest. And if the, you know, the attendance is kind of like this, like, let's pray about what it looks like to get it up and, and, to, and to be committed to it. And so I want to jump in. We get an opportunity. There's a six-week. What I've learned um, is what I think I've learned is that it's great to have entry and exit dates on these groups and so that we can commit for a season and take a break. And commit for a season and take a break. And so we've got this six week series that starts today, that you'll start doing the study tomorrow morning. Um, and I just want to give you some background about Ephesians, this really great letter um, written in the New Testament by Paul. And it's to the church at Ephesus. Um, there's some speculation about that, um, but I believe, and I'll tell you why in a couple minutes Um, that it is indeed a letter that was intended that was by Paul and was intended to the church at Ephesus. And um, then I think he had intent that that letter be shared around with other churches um, that were near Ephesus to encourage them. And he wrote this letter from prison. Okay, so Celia and I had the opportunity to visit this place. In my old job, we were on a... um, like on a trip, we took a cruise through the Greek Isles, and one of our last stops was Kusadasi, which is the Turkish town um, that is closest to the ruins at Ephesus. And so we took a tour and actually walked down the streets that Paul walked down and that are written about in Ephesus. And it was fascinating that they've uncovered these ruins and that um, it was this, you know, they had this theater that we walked in that holds 25,000 people. And if you've been over to Riverbend Church, it's modeled very much like the the theater at Ephesus. I've heard that Michael Jackson performed there, that Sting performed there. I also performed there um, on my tour. Um, Yeah, uh, so I'll sign autographs later. Anyway, and then there was this temple to Artemis or Diana, I'm going to refer to her as Artemis, that there was this temple. And so it was this cultural, political, and religious center that centered around this temple. Also had a library there. Uh, this is kind of interesting fact. Inside the library, there was a tunnel to the brothel. And so that the men of that town would say they were going to the library, and that's not what they were doing. Um, which, by the way, makes my ventures to the library in college look much tamer. I wish I would have known that when I met with Sergeant Mack of the Baylor Police Department. Um, so, here's some facts just about that port city. It was one of five major cities in Rome. Okay? It was a gateway from Rome, it was the kind of one of the closest cities across the Aegean Sea into Asia Minor. And so, it was kind of a hub city. It's on a harbor. And and there's like a little river that leads from the GNC into a harbor, and then there was the port of Ephesus. And so when Paul stayed there in his third missionary journey, um, he was there almost three years, it became a great hub for the church as well, as the word then, same same things that made it a great commercial center, made it a great connecting place for the early church. We'll talk a little bit about Paul, the author of Ephesians, um, who began his life, as Saul of Tarsus. We know from other letters that he was Jewish. He was from the tribe Jewish. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He was a zealot. He trained under Gamaliel. He was a brilliant mind, one of the noted scholars of that day. Um, And we know that he persecuted the new church. And it says, with our first knowledge of Paul, is that he is present uh, when Stephen is being stoned for his faith in Christ. And we know that he traveled with authority from the high priest, and he had, order, he had orders to go round up Christians to, for who knows what to be done to him by the high priest, and, and he was on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 when he has this blinding light conversion. And Ananias prays over him he spends, after he spends three days alone fasting and praying, um, and then he begins to preach. And, like, what comes out of him is incredible because of his knowledge of the Scriptures, and because of who he was, and because of his brilliance, and because he was perfectly prepared for what the Lord had for him. And then he began to go through all these experiences and connect, I think, really well the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's why a big portion of the New Testament are letters from Paul. Um, he understood the prophets and the prophecies that, that all point to Christ and explains that well. It's likely... That he knew and spoke Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. Um, he spent time in Rome, which indicates that he potentially knew Latin, um, but we don't know. I don't know that for sure. And then he had the desire to go to Spain, and I wonder if he knew Spanish. But he's very knowledgeable. His writing is brilliant, and considering he didn't walk with Christ, I just I think his understanding of Christ and the gospel are incredibly impressive. And he's also very humble, considering all of his training and all of his knowledge. In First 1 Timothy 1.15, he says that he's been given you know, the, the assignment and the privilege and the pleasure to share the gospel, and yet he, he said, me, the worst of all sinners. right? Because he, he bears the fact that he's the one who rounded up Christians. He persecuted Christ, and he hasn't forgotten that. And so he was beaten multiple times. He was left for dead. He Talks about seeing a third heaven. Maybe that was a near-death experience. I don't know. But he is whipped, imprisoned multiple times, starved. He made tents. He's probably one of the most single-minded characters from from the Bible. That's not Christ. And um, really remarkable character. And so he's the author of this letter that we're going to study over the next six weeks. Major themes from Ephesians. God's purpose that he directs and carries out and sustains our salvation. And his purpose becomes our mission as well. Another theme is that Christ is the center, right? C-E-N-T-E-R, center. All things are under his control and reign. We We are to allow him to be the center of our lives and put all of our priorities under him. And another theme is that the living church that all believers are being worked together and that we all are part of a living body and that each of us have been given gifts, as I've said earlier, for the benefit of the body. We all have a role. Everyone has a role in the body of Christ. Another theme is that we're a new family, reconciled to Christ. We're all one with him. We're joined together. There should be no division, no, male, no, no difference, male, female, slave, master, Jew, Gentile, all are one. It's made very clear in Ephesians 4. And the Christian conduct is the last theme. There's so much in this letter, but the the last big theme I want to highlight is the Christian conduct, that our new life in Christ grants us new responsibilities, and we're to live by Christ's new standards. And sort of says, as I prepared, like um, Jay Lee's going to teach one week, and Scott Thacker's going to teach one week of this series, and as we sat down and talked about it, Jay was saying that it gives us a, a really strong set of as, believers, you do, as, as non-believers, you did this, and as believers, we do this. Don't do this, do this. And so we get to a certain part in the letter, and you begin to get that. And it's very straightforward and very clear and gives us guidelines for Christian conduct. His purpose, Paul's purpose, is to expand the horizons of his readers to gain a greater understanding of the dimensions of God's eternal purpose and grace. And for us to appreciate the high goals and purpose God has for the church. As we study, I think that will become more real. For me, it's that we'd embrace, we would embrace together how deeply we're loved as we read this letter in the next six to eight, six, seven weeks. That um, we're surrounded by the Lord, and he's not only accomplished all this, he has a purpose for us. And then I just want you to know that as we read his word, that's a win. right? And as we meet together and we talk about it, that's a win. And so, to just be committed with me. All right. So, let's look at the first six verses. And we'll do that, and then we'll close today. Um, This letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus may God our father and the lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace all praise to god the father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with christ even before he made the world god loved us and chose us in christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So you look at the first couple verses, verses 1 and 2, you hear intent and purpose, that Paul refers to himself as an apostle called, and I mean struck down on the road with a blinding light, called. He knows why he's still alive and what his purpose is. And he says it right in the first sentence. And then he says, to the faithful saints or to the holy people, depending on your translations, that's us. That's not just the church in Ephesus. That's, that's all believers, right, that we are referred to as the saints. I mean, sometimes if you're like me, you read that and you think, well, I wonder who the saints are. Right? Because it couldn't be me. It couldn't be talking about me, right? Because my performance on the road on the way to church would eliminate me from being called the saints. But that's not how the Lord sees us. He calls us his saints or his holy people because of what Christ has done. So there's some discussion about that they added the words in Ephesus there, like to God's holy people in Ephesus. Um, But, um, and I'll, I'll tell you in just a second, well, Tychicus, who I, that's how I'm going to pronounce his name, um, is given the letter to take, and he's from Ephesus, and so that sort of indicates to me that even if it was a circular letter, the intent was that it would start in Ephesus and that he was writing this church that he loved and had spent time with in Ephesus. So this is who he's writing to, and then I love that he says grace and peace. You remember when Christ came back, that every time he encountered, like the risen Christ, every time he encountered the church, he said, "Peace be with you." Right. So I feel like when I read "Grace and Peace," right, may the may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I sort of feel like Paul's got a word from the Lord, right? Like he's heard something and he's passing it on. All right. So verse three. Like here, here we go. It gets really good right here. That this. 3 through 14 is, is uh, said in the original translation to be one sentence. It is probably the sentence. I mean, it is an incredible sentence. I'm going to stop in the middle of it this week. We're not going all the way through. Um, but I just want you to know in the original translation, so from God our Father, we're given every spiritual blessing. To bless, right? Like blessed be, it says in some translations, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it says in the New Living Translation that he's blessed us. But we all praise to God is the same thing as saying blessed be. It's like we're declaring good. You can think of Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy. right? <laughs> I declare bankruptcy. That's not how it works. Um, but it's declaring that God is good. It's saying, man, you're so good. right? That, that Paul starts off basically his first line. And he, he goes on to say that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. A new heart, to, to change our hearts. A new heart is greater than a new coat. Amen? Right? like It's a better blessing to have a blessing in the heavenly places, and a, a heavenly blessing. To feed on Christ is greater than the best earthly food. To be a kingdom heir is greater than being an heir to the greatest fortune on earth, right? And that this is what's been given to us. We have everything we need. My uh, printer printed this, and so give me one second while I make sure I'm on the right page. I want you to see that we have 100% of Jesus Christ. He's given us everything. Everything. Every spiritual blessing. And it has all been given to us. And this only happens for us because we're connected to Christ. You'll see several times through this first sentence, through these first that he he continually says in Christ. And that's where all the blessing comes from. It comes from our relationship and being connected in Him. And so let's look at verse 4. It says that He chose us. And here begins this theme of divine election that we have that traces all through Paul's letters. Now, if you're a closet or not-so-closet Calvinist, and you're doing these right now because I said he chose us, I just want to ask you to calm down for just a second. We're not here today to settle Calvinism versus Arminianism. Um, I believe the end result of both of those is a little bit of a ditch. And what I believe is that like many things in scripture, there's mysteries we don't fully understand. And while I fully believe that God chose us, I fully believe, um, and I think it says, and, and it doesn't, I don't think it does say in this chapter that we also have to believe, which requires something of us and from us. And so again, like I have what I consider as I come to the scriptures a big mystery folder. I don't have the answers to everything. I know some of you are really shocked by that. Um, but when I say like a crowned road, you know those old roads that are crowned, right? And they go down to the ditch if you're driving out on the old country road. And so the water would roll off, right? And if you've got to keep your hands on the wheel or you're going to wind up in a ditch one way or the other. And I sort of feel like when we come to some of these big issues that you see the church fight about and argue about, I think maybe just middle ground's not so bad, right? And taken in from both sides. But it still bears noting, God chose us. Fully support that Paul has said that, which is always good to agree with Scripture. Um, But he chose us in Christ before the world began. Yeah, so in the New Living Translation, sorry, I just wanted to find it. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault, holy and blameless, other translations say. And so we see this in Psalm 139 as well, that he has always known us, and he has always had a relationship with us. And he says before we say a word, he knows what's on our tongue, that, that we have this omniscient father who loves us and gives us freedom to come to him, but he is pursuing us constantly. And so we see that in the scripture and that we are holy and blameless. This is a result of our salvation. It is because we are saved by him that we find ourselves to be holy and blameless, right? And it's not the basis for it. It's not because we're holy and blameless that we have salvation. It's because we have salvation that we're holy and blameless, Does that make sense? And that's what in verse four we find, that we have this gift that makes us holy and we're washed by his blood. And I think it's so important. And you hear me say that over and over and over again in a million different ways because I think we struggle to just, we know it, we don't know it. Do you know? Like that we know that we've been made holy and blameless because we've read it in scripture, but we have a hard time knowing it. That we can stand clean before our Father because of what Christ has done for us. So, verse five that we've been predestined to be adopted as sons. This is the best news. I want you to think about what it looks like. Some of you maybe are adopted, others who haven't experienced, but to think about what it looks like when someone's adopted and their last name changes forever. Like that's who they are, they're a part of that family that that's what God says about us, that our last name is his last name. We belong to him because of what Christ has done for us and because we're in him, that we've been grafted in using the language from Romans. We belong. Our last names are the same. And and then I love in verse 5 that it says that he did this for his pleasure. It's what he wanted to do. This week in our small group, we were reading something pretty similar to this, talking about all that God has done for us. Um, and Gary said, it's hard to believe. That's hard to believe. And we all related to that, right? And it's why we meet together, to affirm the truth. And they say, yeah, I know, but that is true. It is hard to believe. It's hard for me to believe, and it's hard for you to believe all of these things in verses 3, 4, and 5, Right? I'm going to read them again to you. I want you to listen. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I just want to encourage you to read that. If it's not underlined or highlighted, to underline or highlight it. And to read it a couple times this week as you do this study and you begin this and just say, and just pray. Like, Lord, I I will do that sometimes. I say, Lord, I know you've given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's good for me to say that and to affirm it and that helps me receive it in my heart. And, And so I just want to encourage you in that. And then verse 6 says, To the praise of his glorious grace, we're saved not only for ourselves, but to bring glory to him. And we fully comprehend who God is, and, and just in the midst of the universe and his creation. And we read in this verse that he has cared about us from all of time, and he's about restoring our reunion. What results is praise and glory, does it not? Do we not just overwhelmed by the fact that someone so infinite and great would care about someone so finite and small? And so just as we come into that relationship, like what comes out of us is praise and glory. And so just to echo that, I mean, what else could we possibly say? But just say to the, you know, to just praise him and to give him glory. So I don't know um, that I will continue on this path of going through each verse, but I just thought these first six verses were worth taking the time to read together this morning. And my hope is that it just whets your appetite and that you want to read this letter and you want to gather together and talk about it. Um, it, it, It's very good. And... um, I just want to, and you'll see as you get through the second half of the first chapter, that Paul's prayer for the church is that they'd get a wisdom and revelation. And that's my prayer for Northwest, that as we read this and as we spend time in his word and in this letter between now and Easter, that we would gain a sense of wisdom and revelation as he reveals himself to us. Let's just be ready. Let's be committed to it and let's be ready to receive it. Jay, you come up and close us, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for um, the volume of times that you have said to us that you love us and that you've made us right, holy, and blameless, that we're your righteousness, that we have a right relationship with you, Lord, I feel like it's over and over and over again because I feel like we need to hear it. And so I just pray for this church body, for all gathered here today, that we would fully receive your grace and your love and that you would meet us as we meet, as we come to you individually, as we come together as groups, that you would meet us and you would encourage us And this news would be so good that it would overflow into all the places that you take us each week, that we might see your kingdom expand. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You guys stand and sing with us.